challenge yourself to ask the question why on a daily basis. Be okay with what the answer is, and even if you don't like it, um, and revisit it on a regular basis. You know, and then once you commit to this journey of really deciding to live your passion and purpose in front of your profits, don't flinch. But the best. Welcome everyone to WorkPod. Today we have with us an interesting guest, Frankie Russo, and he is uh, uh, he runs his uh, Russo Capital, and he mm-hmm. recently authored a book uh, called Breaking Why. And I think from what I heard, it's a sequel from The Art of Why. That's right. Um, so, so we'll 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 talk to Frankie. Frankie, welcome to the, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here and uh, glad to be on your podcast. So before we start, love to know your journey. Like what brought you to this day? Okay. So my journey, I'm 40 years old and um, everybody told me that you don't start life until you're 40, which sounds exciting. I don't know if that's actually true, but um, I've done a little bit of life. I started out as an entrepreneur early on in high school uh, selling t-shirts. Actually, they were t-shirts. My English teacher uh, was teaching us about Gandhi and the, he, one of Gandhi's funny quirky sayings was that, did you have a good bowel movement today? Sisters. <laughs> uh, that's what he used to ask, I guess his sisters and uh, nuns. And, you know, so he, he got a kick out of that. So he said, if everybody wears a t-shirt with that saying and Gandhi's face on it, then they get a hundred on the test. So I realized that there was a need for these t-shirts. I facilitated it. I think I bought the t-shirts for six, sold them for 10. And that was my first business. Um, before that, I was an experimenter. Um, I was always inventing things as a kid. Um, I actually uh, have one of my first inventions in my office. It's a, it's a hoverboard, which clearly didn't work because that's why you haven't heard of me yet. Um, <laughs> but I always was trying hoverboards, time machines, always trying to invent. And and a lot of my story is about rediscovering my uh, who I was back then or my inner child, uh, which the best we can tell was a inventor. Uh, astronaut, cowboy, TV preacher. And um, so I try to remember that when I'm trying to tap into what I'm passionate about today. But, you know, fast forwarding as I as I got into more businesses um, in my 20s, early 20s, I got into the mortgage business, not knowing exactly what that was, but um, it sounded good. And it was a time when just about anybody could be a mortgage broker until, of course, the uh, mortgage meltdown of the entire country. Um, I wasn't responsible for that, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but I was standing there and during that same time, uh, it was actually 2008. That was kind of an important, uh, piece to mention is that that was when, uh, my first marriage was falling apart. I lost my company and everything was really hitting bottom. And I was also a drug addict and alcoholic. So one of the things I'm very open about in my books is that, um, I am a recovering, uh, drug addict, alcoholic. I actually have 14 years now, um, from that time in 2008, Um, I was able to do some things and get into uh, a program that allowed me to really find a new way of living. And it's actually taught me a lot of the things that are in my books, Um, a lot of the same principles and um, even traditions that um, I've learned along the way have, have been from the being at bottom, whether it be that physical bottom in 2008 or some of the more emotional bottoms I had later on in life, um, they're all the, it's those pain failures. Um, those are the things that really made me who I am. But thanks to the mortgage crisis, um, and the fact that the whole country was in disarray and at the same time, Facebook and search and these things were becoming available to local 
companies, smaller companies. I, I built a company called Potenza and it was, uh, it was a make-believe company. And we made clients believe in our company. And then we made the community believe in our client's company, uh, which is another way of saying branding. And so that was really neat for us. Uh, the, the difference with Potenza and my company before that in the mortgage company was that we weren't just trying to make money. This was the first time I did a business that was about trying to build a good name, have integrity, and really try to have something that's more long lasting um, and not just transactional. And that was the beginning of building more long-term relationships. Um, that company got on Inc. 5000 for the first time in 2013 and stayed on there for six years. From that company, we realized that long-term relationships can also be developed into user bases. And we realized there was a lot of problems in the space of, of marketing, advertising, branding, and things like that that required automation. And that's when I got into software in about 2013 and built uh, what we call the CXM. Um, and I built that up. That company, 360IA, actually got on the Inc. 500 list and stayed on it for three years until last year when we sold it to a Fortune 500 company. So had an interesting journey, had a lot of, uh, a lot of experience with fast growth, a lot of ups and downs. But uh, one of the best things that I, I have to offer to other entrepreneurs that I, I try to give to them is the ability to really look at what it takes to harness your passion and your purpose put them together to create true long lasting profits that go beyond just um, money, but more um, free time, uh, people's lives that are affected and impacted in a positive way. And many, many other profits that are intangible that can't be bought um, or sold. So that's, that's a short story of kind of who I am, where I came from, but I'm very passionate about my purpose, which is to help others. Uh, specifically entrepreneurs and other people that share my experience of either being a startup or stuck individual or company. So that's really what, where I'm passionate and, and why I've put so much energy into the books and talks that I do and, and in, and the school of why, which we'll talk about later. Interesting. And, 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 and uh, talk to us about Russo capital. Like what does, what does it Yeah. So Russo capital uh, came about in 2018. That was something that came out of uh, just a need for, investing. It's an angel investment firm. Um, we're building it into something bigger than that now. Uh, but right now, we, we I saw the need to to have some sort of an investment arm in, in my efforts. And I, as an entrepreneur and as a mentor, that I was able to be on the board seat, invest um, from an investment standpoint, as well as a uh, in-kind. A lot of the people that are needing investments the first thing they need is marketing and branding. And that's where a lot of the money from the investment goes to um, other than the actual development of the product or purchasing of real estate. So we, I realized I could actually trade for my services in order to get some investment uh, points there. And so we, we've been exploring that model, but Russo Capital is really um, a way for us to invest in people that are trying to get started up and also people that are stuck. And so that that's what Russo Capital predominantly does. Awesome. Thank you for that. So um, talk to us about School of Why. Yeah, the School of Why is, is basically a community that we're developing because after writing The Art of Why, one of the things I realized is there wasn't a good way to connect directly with my audience of, of readers um, and to where it was scalable. So we created the School of Why and we're still it's still in beta currently, but it's a great way for us to do workshops with 
smaller groups of people in person as well as connect virtually. And it's predominantly to work and rework the 10 steps from the book. So in Breaking Why and the Art of Why, there's 10 steps that I created that are designed to help someone practically go from the beginning points of trying to discover what their purpose is and their passion and making that an actual lifestyle and really getting to where the journey is um, the actual journey that they want to be on as opposed to um, someone else's journey. And so the school of why is a way for us to practically do that and practice these steps and work these steps over and over again. And then in turn, learn how to work the steps with another person. So a lot of what we do is about getting to the the 10th step, which is basically giving back and helping others, which is my purpose. And I believe it's all of our purpose as humans, if we so choose to accept it. And this allows for people to wherever they're at, begin to live that purpose of giving back and mentoring and taking other people through these steps. Interesting. No, I think one thing that, and thank you for walking us through that. So one thing I found really fascinating with, with people who are talking about their whys, right? That's, it's, it's, it's a very, um, as an entrepreneur, you realize that the purpose is, is central to what you do and why many times it's a very strong role uh, of, of basically in, in understanding your purpose. So walk us through your journey of finding your why, like what, why is, what is the seed what is seeding your passion for understanding uh, your why's and helping people understand theirs exactly yeah so uh, the secret to understanding your why or your purpose and also uh, harnessing your passion is actually to really look at who you were as a young person so as a young person in addition to being you know an inventor and and always trying to create things and invent stuff no matter how crazy it it seemed and wanting to live on the moon I also was raised by two parents who had devoted their life to helping the homeless and running homeless shelters. So there's an innate uh, practical teaching that was given to me that I lived out as a young person. It was difficult for me to figure out how to marry that with my life now because I didn't believe I was supposed to be in that type of mission, if you will. But it does come down to mission. Each one of us has to identify what our personal mission statement is. So it took me writing the art of why to actually fulfill the first parts of my purpose, I would say, as an adult. Because when I became an adult, there were some there were different reasons that um, I didn't feel like I was supposed to be doing what my parents were doing. Um, mm-hmm. But I knew I needed to be doing more than just serving myself. Um, and so I, I had to really seek out that journey. And for a long time, I gave up on it. I mean, that's my twenties and and my journey with addiction and a lot of that stuff and just chasing money in the finance world. That was all about, um, kind of running away from my passion and, and, and my purpose. And then as I became, as I grew back into that, I, I realized that like the only thing that is truly deeply meaningful and fulfilling for me and long lasting was the things I was doing to really help others. And, and, yeah, of course, I, I want to help clients and you want to be a servant for clients, but clients are paying you money. And so I, I wanted something deeper than that. I needed to have a purpose and passion that went beyond just I'm going to be really great uh, value add to my client, which there's nothing wrong with. But that's still not going to be an is not enough, I believe, for the full uh purpose of our life as humans. That's just something that we do as part of it. Um 
so yeah, for me, it was, that's kind of where I had this burning desire to fulfill a why. And it wasn't until I actually wrote the art of why that I started to fulfill it by working the steps in the book. The book itself is part of that. I give back uh, to a lot of entrepreneurs that are um, in third world countries through microfinance with the efforts from the book and the, and the money from the book. So there were a lot of things that I kind of put in inside of that whole thing to help me fulfill my own why through this. And now I, I teach other people how to do the same by utilizing the steps from the school of why and figuring out how that pertains to their individual journey. Fascinating. And, and, and uh, from your vantage point, talking to various entrepreneurs or, or helping various clients understand their why, what have you seen are some of the, some of the very common mistakes or, or common um, uh, commonalities that you find uh, across the board that b- businesses or leaders or, or, or entrepreneurs having in uh, in understanding their why? Yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes is not really even looking at the why. Uh, see, what happens is that everyone has to ask what, when, where, how often, to what extent. Um, those are questions we have to ask every morning and every day to survive. You don't actually have to ask why ever in order to survive. If that's what you're looking to do is just survive. But if you're looking to thrive or you're looking to go beyond just, just that you're looking to go uh, deeper, then that's something you have to ask yourself and you have to be willing to stick with it long enough to get the answer. And why is a very difficult question to ask. It's very uncomfortable. It's not, it's not going to answer itself. And again, it's, it's a, it's a very, very difficult question to ask. And so a lot of leaders, they forget to ask that because they're so entrenched and they're not, there's not doing anything wrong. They're not bad people, but they just are so entrenched in what's coming at them, which are usually things related to money and schedules and, and very linear and quantifiable type things, um, as opposed to quantitative things. And so, you know, one of the things that I always tried to look at is balance quantitative and quantitative qualitative. And so looking at the qualitative aspects versus just the quantitative, meaning that like, so what we, what I did when I wrote the 10 steps is the, the first step was qualitative looking at the why the second step was quantitative. So step two is, is counting the cost and figure out what it's going to cost to break your why and rebuild it. And then the, uh, like the third step is, is believing and making a choice, which is more qualitative. Um, and then four is start, which is more quantitative and so on and so forth. So you're always looking at the balance between, you can't be just qualitative and just this idealistic person who's always talking about things that are not practical, but I can't just be practical and not have some of the creativity and idealism that keeps us alive and makes us human. That's a, that's a very interesting point. So, so I was talking to uh, one of the, uh, I think, industry strategist, and and he was he was uh, telling me about uh, the 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 changing nature of wise. So, so his point of view, Vishal, now we're living in the age of data, right? So everyone says, okay, we have to sort of throw data at the problem. We have to justify with data, and we are seeing. I think you you brought up a very interesting point about being qualitative and quantitative at the same time, because we. And, and and his point of view was that, Vishal, you know what? Because businesses focus too much on quantitative nature of of of, of their aspects, many times they they miss out on the qualitative. And many of the why 
has a very sort of engraved rooting in the culture of an organization. Why why you do what you do, why someone attached to your cause, we are working on something. Yeah. And now suddenly everyone started shifting on, okay, how is that impacting uh, quantitatively? Mm-hmm. So when, when you talk to uh, businesses, what has been your observation? Like how has like the understanding of why evolved uh, yes. over last last decade or so? And what, what has been your observation? Well, I think nowadays, one of the things that's happened that's a positive in like the workforce and things like that is that there's a lot of more um, equality, understanding, and, and most importantly, vulnerability. So this idea of vulnerability, thanks to Brene Brown, is, some, is like cool now. So like everybody's down with it, which is really great because that's kind of created this idea of like, servant leadership. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Simon Sinek, who was kind of the first guy to really come out swinging with the why statement. Um, his second book, you know, was about, I think, um, leaders eat last or something along those mm-hmm. lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is that, you know, at the end of the day, the most powerful leaders are the ones that are, have humility and honesty. And that's really what I've learned over these last 14 years is that that that's really what it comes down to. And it's, it's uncomfortable because we think that we're supposed to be this big, strong, powerful, dominant uh, leader. And that's how we're going to get people to do what we want them to do. But the fact is, is that vulnerability and, and really getting down in the ditches and, and working with people to, to mentor them and, and to teach them as opposed to just dominate and instruct them, that's become more expected, you know? So there's a whole new generation. Millennials get a bad rap, but one of the good things about millennials um, is that they they're basically demanding and expecting that type of environment in order for them to work for you, and they'll work for less money just to have that culture and environment. So, so I think like you have to start looking at this stuff if you want to have retention and if you want to have people that are loyal to you. But at the end of the day, it 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 boils down to having enough you know, compassion and vulnerability and the way why has changed is that people are actually looking at that. It's not like as uh, kind of out in left field of an idea or concept in the workforce. Interesting. So, so I was, I was talking to uh, uh, one of the leader at Airbnb and, and, and he was talking about companies like Uber and Airbnb and how, yeah, their hockey stick growth uh, never let them focus on their whys, right? So uh, Airbnb is lucky in that Uber was had a total different, uh, pretty hyper growth in, in, in that aspect. So if you are a company that is rapidly growing and things are supposed, yes. supposedly working out for you and you never get a chance to look at your whys, how would you see? How would you look at those uh, those organizations? How would they sort of? Yeah, man, fix their... I have been and I and look, I've been there. The fact is, uh, I I had two companies for eight years on on these Inc. five thousand list and Inc. five hundred list, and and the fact is, as exciting as that is, and it's a great honor, there that comes at a cost, and you have to look at that cost, uh, what it is, and and there's a way to do it, but you have to work hard to make sure that you're looking at at the people. I mean, the best way to really understand why is, is to go back to like, how am I interacting with people? Like if the deepest why that all of us can fulfill is helping others. Right. And it's, and, and all I have to do, if every single person decided that they were going to make their, their priority, 
not the only thing they do, but the priority in their life, helping others. Then, and that was whoever was around them, starting with their spouse or their girlfriend or their boyfriend or whatever. And then their, uh, their kids and then their, um, coworkers and then the people they run into wherever that concept, if you just allow yourself to not compartmentalize. So I, I lived a long time before I wrote the books, compartmentalizing. In fact, that's really where the breaking why came from Mm -hmm. is I finally broke after, right after writing the art of why I went through a divorce. I really got broken and it was real. It was the final stage of being set free from this concept that, um, I needed, I, I, the only way I could hold it all together is by compartmentalizing things and like, okay, when I do it work over here, that's just over there. I'm actually watching this crazy show right now on Apple TV. I don't know if you've seen it called severance. Have you seen this? No. Oh my God. It's, uh, (laughs) it's written by Ben Stiller. I don't know how it's going to end, but basically Mm -hmm. what happens is that you've got these people that have chosen to sever their memories from when they're at work, they go down to the severance floor and in the elevator, they forget everything about who they are at home. And then when they go up the elevator, they forget everything from work. So it's completely Mm -hmm. severed. and, And that's the solution that they're saying you should do. And it's like the ultimate playing out the tape of like, we should compartmentalize what we do at work from what we do at home. And that's total bullshit. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, that is the misconception. And this is obviously an extreme, uh, Mm -hmm. example. And I don't know if you watch any television shows, but definitely check it out. Cause I think with your work with AI and people and Mm -hmm. this whole conversation, you've got to watch that show. It's brand new. It's only got four or five episodes out. Uh, it is, it's, it's something gets you thinking, you know, but the fact is I used to, in my own way was living that subconsciously. And it wasn't until I broke all that down and realized I can't try to be compartmentalized and one person here, one person there. I I'm not wholehearted. And so I'm not going to be fulfilled. So a lot of people that are stuck or don't know how to get started, it's because they're still trying to live in this duality that does not exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard it said by, um, who's the guy who founded Amazon? Uh, Bezos? Jeff Bezos, yeah. Jeff Bezos, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so that guy, um, he said that there's not a work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's 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 it, a it's a joke. Mm-hmm. It's not a work-life balance. It's just a mm-hmm. life balance, basically. And mm-hmm. I forget how he put it, and you can probably look it up. But I thought it was mm-hmm. an interesting idea, and and it resonates with me as well. I can't be two people. And think mm-hmm. that I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm not going to go to that level of true freedom, happiness, and joy, and serenity if I'm living du- a duality that most of us do live. It's just the way it's designed. And and so I think that this new generation of, of workforce and the millennials have really challenged that a lot. And and there's more more people are demanding to to be able to be themselves and be open and be whatever they are. And And nowadays, you know, most businesses are starting to realize they have to get on board with that um, mm. in order to do that. So, you know, that this book kind of helps you work through that, the emotions behind trying to put all that together as a leader. Interesting. So you, you raise a very interesting point. So um, I think uh, breaking why, right? So, so you, you had a life, you were doing things and then you have to reset. You have to readjust your why's. Right? That's right. So, Many times, uh, and and uh, I was talking to someone today morning, uh, uh, industrial psychologist, and he and, and we were, we were talking about this idea of uh, uh, basically resisting change. So, as a leader, 
basically performance. So as a leader, I'm always appreciated for how I perform. And if I am a good performer, typically I don't like to let uh, relinquish my control. So I'll, I'll keep things in my control. So I, I'm basically uh, running my own set of whys, right? They have been working for me. And suddenly the, the, the things, the external factors start impacting us. And now my, my struggle with my why started showing up because my whys are no longer relevant in, in the current times. And pandemic has, if, has shown us anything. It's just that idea of, okay, everyone's why is very vulnerable to the, to the outside factors that we have to adjust to. That's so right. um, in, in your um, effort to help businesses and leaders and entrepreneurs understand their and sort of fix their whys, what are some of the things that you have seen that you could share uh, of businesses? How how has some of the successful leaders or, or, or businesses able to uh, adjust their why to this new reality instead of holding on to uh, a sinking ship and sort of going really down before they realize now there's no way to go up, which is slightly painful uh, for many oh, of yeah. us? <laughs> I don't know if it's slightly painful. I'd say it's very painful. Yeah. So, you know, the biggest thing is that it starts with me as a leader. I've got to go inside. This is an inside job. We think that it's out there. Like if I could just get my teams right, or if I could just get this protocol right, or if I could just get this tech right, or if I could get the product right or distribution or all these external things, when everything that, that truly is going to make the difference is on the inside. And so the good news is if we are a leader, we have a responsibility to that. But all we have to do as a leader is to change, be willing, open-minded, and honest about where we are today and be willing to break that ourselves and be willing to do the hard things that are required to evolve. evolve. Evolution is not a pretty uh, painless experience. It's long, grueling, very painful, and it requires a massive amounts of high pressurized change over a significant amount of time. So I've got to be willing to put myself in that position. I've got to eat change for breakfast. And so as, as long as I'm the one who is holding on to my old innovations. See, the, the problem with most of us leaders is that we got there because we did something. We innovated somewhere along the line, or maybe we did it a couple times. The So what's going to kill me as an innovator, and it is the innovator's dilemma. It's the same thing. Have you read the innovator's dilemma book? Yes. That's a great book, right? And, yeah. and, and so you can see how the companies that failed and many, many companies that we know about, they're, they're gone. I mean, great companies, mm -hmm. Blockbuster and JCPenney's and Sears and, you know, JCPenney's might still be here. But, you know, there's a there's a lot of companies, Montgomery Ward, um, that Kmart, they were huge. They were mm -hmm. they were the thing, but mm -hmm. they did not adapt because they were still living on these old models. And then all of a sudden Uber, Netflix, you know, all these companies come in and they change the game because they're not thinking along the, the old game. But so if we're in, if, if we're the people that have had success, that's the people that are, I consider stuck, whether they know it or not. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's too late. You know, I could have held on to the company I sold last year for a lot longer and maybe I would have made more money. Maybe I would have uh, been, been more successful, but also too, I've got to be willing to, to know that like I built something great. This is a moment that that's calling. 
let that moment happen. That's the only way I'm going to be available for the next moment. It's when we hold on too tightly to the old innovations that we no longer can innovate again. And that's where the principles behind what I've learned and experienced and the other people that I've worked with have also proven through these same truths and principles. Um, that's if, as long as I'm holding on tight, it's going to break. So I can either break my why or it'll break me. Interesting. And that's a very fa- very interesting point. So if you can, if you can help us walk uh, in your decision-making process of when mm-hmm. you said, okay, I could have either hold on to my why's and make it grow or I could part ways now and build something bigger and better. Uh, and, and so how do you decide that? Like what, what was your, how do you decide such, such a, okay, let me leave my baby on a, on a free fall and let me go somewhere else or right. some, on someone else's hand. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't, well, first off it was, it wasn't a free fall. It hadn't got, it, I, I was able to sell my company while it was healthy and, and strong. Mm. And so I didn't go that far. I made a point not to because, and the reason why I was able to do that is because the two companies before hmm. they didn't sell. One hmm. of them just failed and the other one just basically uh, fizzled out after COVID. So hmm. in it, I've already seen what that looks like. Hmm. The other thing you got to remember is that the company that, that I successfully was able to exit on, hmm. I've created the exit plan before I started. That was the first, when I built my technology company, 360 IA, I did not even start it. Before mm-hmm. having an exit plan. That was the first time I ever did that. Before I just assumed that these successful companies would just go on forever. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Once you're set up, you made it. And so that's the biggest thing is that I started with the end in mind. That's number one. So by the time that decision came, see, we're all always trying to figure out, we get to these things that looks like forks in the road. And it's like, man, which way do I go? I need someone to tell me which way to go. And it's this huge decision. It's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be incremental one day at a time movements to when you, you will get to crossroads, but there won't be 50, 50 decisions. There'll be 70, 30 splits, 80, 20 splits, 90 to 10 splits where you can have the confidence that clearly I should go on 80, 90, 70, instead of going with 20, 30 or 40. That's, that's how it's supposed to go. It, it's supposed to be incremental. A lot of the principles in my book are actually about the daily work. This mm. is about daily check-ins. This is not like a quarterly check-in with myself. I've got to be every day checking in with myself, looking at how I'm fulfilling my why that goes beyond the company, but me as a human. So that when I get to that moment, when I got to the moment where it was time to sell, it became clear to me. It wasn't a huge crossroad. So I don't look back wondering if, oh man, I, I feel even more confident after the fact that I did the right thing there. And it's bec- and I don't know if I'm going to build something bigger and better and do something bigger. That might be the biggest thing I ever built. That might mm. be the biggest sale I ever have. But here's the difference. I'm okay with that because I have a deeper journey that I'm going for that if that is the biggest thing, guess what? I'm okay with that. And if it's not the biggest thing and there's something bigger, I'm also okay with that. But becoming okay with things that are not okay or with unknowns and being comfortable living in that space right beyond fear where courage lives. That's a thin, thin barrier that very few people realize they can step right across into. That is where I live now, but it requires a certain amount of harnessing strategic emotions. That's why a lot of the experience and work that I do with other people is looking at how to hack and rebuild strategic emotions in order to get that authentic success 
that we all want. And authentic success is not on a balance sheet. Okay. It's not, not on a balance sheet, right? So you, you have to have a balance sheet, but if that's all there is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be wishing I did something different in the end of my life. No, I think, um, so one, one interesting thing about, um, um, when you said that you have you already had an exit in mind, so I uh, I think I was I spoke with someone locally um, in one of the one of the uh, one of the Harvard professor. He he researched basically successions in an organization. Yeah, and 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 he said that eighty two percent of businesses don't have a realistic succession plan. That's right. So That's they right. never they never have an end in sight. They said they they're going to live forever, and they are the most vulnerable. And he was te- he was High telling risk. me horror stories one after the other that how uh, so, uh, two people, husband, wife, company, husband died, wife had no clue what to do with the business. So she yes. g- 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 yes. sold the business from a, 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 a dollar to penny. So uh, that that's remarkable, um, basically. Well, it's necessary, to be honest, is that companies have got to ask themselves, am I in a company that even can have an exit? And if the exit is that you have to sell it for parts and, and hand it to someone else, you should know that going into it. Mm-hmm. And if it's worth it, it's worth it. There are some service businesses that just aren't a good sell, but they're a great lifestyle business. And, mm-hmm. but if, as long as I know that and I'm, and I'm good with that and I understand that there's a cycle and that this company will end either because I get tired or die or the industry changes or whatever, that's okay. You know, it's, it's when we get into this idea that like we will live forever or this thing will never end, or I have the Midas touch. And so everything I touch will turn to gold. That's when we get into trouble. Interesting. And, and in, uh, I'm now uh, knowing your why has a lot to do with the branding and marketing for an organization, right? So how do you present yourself? How do you, how do you let people know what you are up to? How do you clients attach to you? So mm-hmm. when you when you look at uh, your your sort of your client portfolio or or your investment portfolio companies, what are some of the easiest fixes that you see that people are just not not focusing enough, and which could be like if they just do these three things, they're ninety percent there. Like I, I wonder if you have observed some of the very quick fixes. That yeah. That, so first of all, I think one of the, one of the three things would definitely have to be each person knowing their own mission that's in the organization. So from the obviously the CEO down people understanding why they are there. And if they're, if they don't know why they're there or they don't think they should be there, then they should be basically like rewarded for leaving. So the the first thing is like, if people don't want to be there, don't be there. This is not a draft. (laughs) Nobody got drafted into their job. So it's like, that's really important. I think people hang on and try to convince people. The one thing you can't sell people on is passion. If they're not passionate about it, then this is a mistake. Even though some people are really, really talented. If you're not passionate about it, it's irrelevant. Talent is something that can be taught uh, and worked on. Passion is not. Um, Feeling like what they're doing is aligned with their personal mission matters. If, If someone is not, if their personal mission is not aligned with it, your organization will not have the stamina and the energy to go forward. So you have to be willing to ask those questions. It's a terrifying question. I started asking it to my companies after I came out with the auto Y because I realized, okay, I wrote this book in a vacuum. I didn't really include any of my employees in it. It's like, I've got to take them through the steps. I've got to be willing to ask the questions. And like, quite frankly, I literally started 
every single meeting, what I would do is I'd go around the room with 75 employees. And, and when there was a new employee or whatever, we would say, Hey, my name is Frankie. And, uh, why are you here? Everyone had to say why they were here. And it was, it was, it was terrifying at times because like, you're just cringing with the people that, you know, kind of are on that, like bottom of the list, you know, weakest link bucket that we all have. Uh, I won't name names, but at the end of the day, it's like, I've got to ask that person that question. So it, you have to create that culture of like, we are a mission focused company that we want the company's mission as well as our individual missions to align. And if they don't, that's okay. You know? And so that's one thing I would say is, is really important. Um, I think also too, is like, like we just said, I think a quick fix is like figuring out, is there an exit plan? Is there not an exit plan? And is, is that something that, um, we can work towards, right? And do we have any kind of plan? Is there a one-year plan, three-year plan, five-year plan? Even if we don't know for sure if we'll hit it, we have to have some plan or you can plan to fail. Um, and then the last piece is, is as a leader, okay, do I have a mentor and does that mentor have what I want? You know, 10 years ago, I was blessed enough to meet this mentor, Steve Pruitt. I talk about Steve in the book. He's now a business partner of mine. And, you know, Steve was somebody who was very influential in my life. And the most important thing Steve did is he made me believe in myself. And I, and I, he was the guy that I knew that I could go to that was ahead of me in life, ahead of me in business. Um, and I needed to have that so that I could have something to work towards and someone who's been there before me. So that I am always the student, even though maybe at my company, when Steve's not there, I was the teacher. So I ha I can't remain the student unless I have a teacher. Like it says, oh, always remain the student. Okay, cool. Who's your teacher? Interesting. No, I think you raise a very interesting point about, about passion and purpose. So um, I was talking to a local uh, uh, college football coach here and, and, and he was telling me, we shall imagine you are in this team because of job security, right? So in, in, in sports team, it's very common to have a passion and that's why you are, otherwise it will show up in, uh, very quickly and you are out or you'll just, you'll, you'll yourself fade away. In a, in, 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 in a job scenario, there, I think he was telling me that a, a majority of the workforce is not passionate enough like you cannot say they are there because of their wives, right? They're right. either the job security or scarce or scarcity or, or they're too afraid to, to leave. They have no passion. They have not asked their wives and there's a, there's a massive deficit on understanding their wives. So you, you have been a leader on, 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 on sort of, you have, you have uh, created your own company. You're helping other companies. If you are a leader who's watching or listening to this, to this conversation, what would they do to ensure that their workforce uh, they know their wise or or they know their passion and they're rightly gainfully employed in their organization not because of the fear but because of their passionate about it yeah so i actually ended up bumping into this a lot when after i wrote the art of why and that's why we created the school of why to create workshops and a format for us to help get our, roll our sleeves up and help people work through this process. Um, so what I do with a lot of people is I, I go in and do workshops with inside the company with mm -hmm. their employees, um, where their employees can be a part of the workshop and, and actually work these steps. 
But for people that where that's not practical, you can use the steps from this book and a lot of other great books in order to encourage the the team to be going through some sort of a process together. Um, so the best thing that they could be doing is is create c- come up with either your own process or borrow a process like Breaking Why, and use that system to go through that. Whether that's like once a month or once a week, maybe you come together for 30 minutes and, or if it's once a month, a little bit longer, and you're talking through some of these different things. And and if you can't do it with the whole company, you do it with whatever team you're on. And then that team does it with the team that they're on. And so you create these, um, these systems where you're staying accountable and you're all moving in a similar direction. And you're, you're, you're looking at KPIs every day and you're looking at what matters. Um, but you're also talking about, the, the core values and core mission of the company. So you don't want to ever lose that. A lot of companies, not only do they not have an exit strategy, they don't even know what their mission is or what their core values mm. are. So you, the employee doesn't even know if they're into that. You know, it, it took me a long time to really identify what the core values were for, for our company. Um, you know, early on in the process, I didn't even know, I didn't even ask those questions. It took me years and I was a successful company before I even looked at, mission statements and core values, you know, which for us, you know, we were, we had identified this is with Russo Capital and all the companies that I invest in. I'm looking for these same core values and in people, this is actually what we would use to grade, um, on if someone is these things. So we would actually, the core values were accountable and transparent, driven by results, adaptable or growth oriented passion for innovation, put others first and proactive. Okay. So those six core values became what I built all my companies on, but also when it came time for an employee review, whether the employee reported to me or reported to the next person, we were evaluating, is this person accountable or transparent? Sometimes, always, never. And we went through that with driven by results, adaptable or growth oriented. You see what I'm saying? And then we, that, that becomes the score. And then everybody knows. And we actually would have, we would make the employees come into the review scoring themselves on these aspects. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, those are some of the practical, like granular things to make sure that everyone is looking at the mission, looking at the why, looking at the val- core values that are go, you know, and I didn't say one word about sales driven, revenue driven, mm. fastest growing company in America. You, you know what I'm saying? Hot, great EBITDA, low churn rate. Those aren't core values, but like that's usually everybody's talking about, right? But if you make I'm, the conversation I'm, about this, those other pieces will come out. You know, you got to measure those other KPIs, but if you're not circling back to the quanti- qualitative aspects of what makes this company great, then it ain't a great company. It's just a, maybe a good company. And I'm I'm curious about um, is there any uh, uh, too much why like is is there any um, analysis paralysis on 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 understanding your why? Of course, absolutely. At the end of the day, understanding your why is is only the first step. All mm. of the rest of the steps are work. <laughs> you got to do stuff, right? So we it, just sitting mm. around and meditating and learning about ourselves and and frolicking in the wind. Uh, can't be all there is too. You you do have to have grit. You got to do work. You know, faith without works is dead. You know, from a spiritual aspect. And so, like, I, it, just by knowing stuff, believing stuff, saying stuff, 
that's not going to get us all the way there. We do have to look at these things, but that's just the first step. The rest of the step is hard work and it's daily work and you, and you have to do stuff and you've got to balance the qualitative and quantitative. That's why we go back and forth between each step. Interesting. And um, so now let's spend a few minutes on the book. Why write this book? So the, the Breaking Why book specifically I wrote because the Art of Why left a lot on the table. After I wrote the Art of Why, it actually kind of cracked me open a little bit of like, because it was really difficult for me to write the Art of Why. Because I myself was living a very compartmentalized life and didn't even realize it. I was in tons and tons of, of denial around that. And so it took me three years to write the Art of Why, where it only took me one year to write Breaking Why. And, and the reason was because I was not able to really tap into myself. And I didn't even, I didn't even know that till after it was out. And it was ironic. I wrote breaking why almost as a slam to the art of why, cause there's there, it, it's dirty. It's not that clean. You know, this, it, it is, there are some art aspects of it and you want to make an art form of your life. And there's some beautiful things about art and, and the art of why is, was a good book, but I was missing some things that I myself had to break some of my own rules after going through a divorce and going through some different things and, and really finding a lot of freedom and in, in letting go of what people thought about me. So in my first book, I thought a lot about what people were going to think about me. My second book, the, I mean, little things like on the first book, I have, uh, my face on the cover. The second book I don't. And that's on purpose. That's by design is because I wanted to, I wanted the second book to not be a book about, uh, just, you know, brand, a brand book or a book to put my name out there to position me a certain way in business. Breaking why was none of that. Um, and it's already helping a lot more people than the art of why was I wrote breaking why to fulfill my purpose, which was to help others and to be a useful tool to really serve the people that are reading it and people are who are seeking to turn their passion and purpose into profits. And so that's why I wrote breaking why. Interesting. And, and, and walk us about, Art of Why, like what was that book and, and why, why wrote that? Yeah, so The Art of Why was was a great book. It was it was um, the initial setup of the 10 steps, meaning it was an introduction to the 10 steps. Um, and it, we, I didn't go as deep into the passion and profits component. I mostly focused on purpose and identifying what is my purpose and some things like that. So again, The Art of Why uh, was the first evolution of my own experience with fulfilling my why, which these books are part of that. You know, not everybody's going to write a book, but some of the people that go through our steps will. Um, and I help a lot of people get published with books and, and, you know, invest in their company. So I'm trying to, to align myself as, as deeply as I can with my passion and purpose, which is innovation, inventing, um, you know, wanting to be, uh, free and, rocking and rolling like a cowboy and wanting to, uh, you know, spread the good news like a TV preacher. Those are all my inner child. That's who I wanted to be at five. And so I'm trying to live my best five-year-old life. <laughs> um, so when you, when you were writing breaking, why, what reader would you, would you like, what are you thinking of when you wrote this book? Um, say that again. What, what do you mean? The readers so, you said? Yeah. So what's the reader reader persona, the ideal reader persona you okay, have in mind? Gotcha. When you yeah. Were... So when I was writing the art of why it was predominantly entrepreneurs um, that, you know, were wanted to do have self-development and things like that with breaking why I tried to expand that a little bit beyond just entrepreneurs and just really anyone, an artist, a musician, um, 
someone who's in nonprofit work really doesn't have to be an entrepreneur, but anyone seeking to really tap into what their uh, passion is and purpose, turn it into profits um, and get started or get unstuck. So, yeah. So, and, and my next book is actually called love the weird. I, I have uh, just got started working on that. And the whole concept is about loving that weird inner child, the weird kid that you stopped being because somebody either told you you weren't supposed to be that, or you thought that from your culture or, or your society. And so, because I believe that tapping into our passion, the secrets of tapping into passion as an adult, when we're really stuck and not as passionate in our lives, I think the secret to that is going back to our inner child and that weird kid and finding reintroducing ourselves to that guy or that girl and, um, protecting and getting to know them and embracing that as an adult. And that's where love the weird really comes in. So my next book is actually a lot more about passion than purpose, but I, you know, I'm really excited about these types of concepts because they've done so much for me. I want to be able to give that away to other people. That's, that's pretty cool. So, um, now, uh, now let's get to slightly fun part. We call it rapid fire. So basically uh, how that works is I'll, I'll, I'll just say <laughs> a word and just say whatever comes to your mind. If you want to elaborate more, you're more than free to do that. Um, should we play? Yeah, let's play. Awesome. Leadership. <laughs> I don't know why. I just thought Steve Jobs. <laughs> Oh I don't God. even know if he was the servant leader. <laughs> is, okay. is that enough on that one? That's, Just that's, anything, right? Okay. Worked. Yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. Culture. What is it? Culture. Uh, Cajun. That's where I'm from. Cajun culture. Interesting. Future of work. Yikes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> robots. <laughs> <laughs> growth grit team family diversity unity empathy Genuine. Jobs of future. Electric. <laughs> Batteries. <laughs> Disruption. Innovator. Hmm. Future of organizations. Difficult. <laughs> future of why? necessary so I'm, I'm 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 curious what do you think about uh simon sinek's start with why like do you have any perspective on it yeah i thought it was an awesome book um he focuses a lot on how companies can really use their uh their mission and their purpose in their branding and the way it can connect with their audience so he kind of took a different angle with it uh which i completely appreciate he's done an incredible job and, and sold obviously more books than me but um yeah i have a ton of respect for him i think what he's done to devote his whole life to his cause is admirable it's something that i, I hope to be able to do more of 
you know, he's all in on that. And I'm, I'm actually kind of transitioning to that now that I've sold my company and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I love what he's doing. And I think that the book is very, very useful, especially for a, an entrepreneur or a company really to ask them the hard questions as it relates to, is my brand really a mission focused brand at all? And, and really challenging myself is what am I really even offering my users or my clients or my customers that's unique and, and really for them, as opposed to me just turning a dollar. So the, he, he gets into some pretty good stuff in there. Interesting. So now uh, let's, let's uh, get to the last segment um, of, of our show. So we call it um, knowing the, knowing the guest. So basically uh, in this, we'll, we'll delve a bit deeper into your personal journey, what has helped you and, and uh, so if you can help me understand um, what what has been some qualities or, or attributes that has helped you become what you have become, what are what are those qualities that, that you attribute your success to? Yeah, the two most important qualities are honesty and humility. And those are very, very difficult qualities for an entrepreneur male. Um, they don't come naturally. And it's something that I've learned not only to be honest with you and other people around me, but mostly honest with myself. That is such an important part. I would say if I had a religion, it's honesty. And that has not always been the case. And I try to challenge myself to really serve that that highest calling of staying out of denial, staying out of living unconscious or in this subconscious, checking in and being honest with myself and staying humble enough to be wrong, staying humble enough to be a servant. And to, and to make my life about helping others, being humble enough to be vulnerable and talk about where I'm wrong and so that I can learn from them and grow. So those are huge aspects. I didn't have any of those until I got sober. So a lot of my growth has come from having a spiritual uh, journey, a lot of which has come from the 12 Steps um, program. And that has been a huge part of me actually re-understanding my why of helping others. I actually work with a lot of other drug addicts and alcoholics to help them get free from that. And so when I'm not raising my six kids or um, being there for my wife or all of my companies, I spend a lot of my time helping drug addicts and alcoholics get free from that addiction. And that has actually been a hugely fulfilling uh, thing for me and, and really helped me live out aspects of my why that go beyond family and work. That, that's uh, admirable. Uh, thank you for doing that. So uh, we ask all of our guests to share some of their favorite reads, some of the books that have inspired them, some of the books that they are currently. So uh, if you can share some of those, if you have. Yeah, totally. So some of the different ones that, that I've really liked was, uh, as I mentioned before, I like The Innovator's Dilemma. Um, the Hard Thing About Hard Things, I think, is one of them. Um, unfuck yourself is a really good one. Um, I don't know if it's a censored, but yes. it's the title of the books. So I don't know what to yes. say. Yes. Um, you know, I like Simon Sinek's book, Simon Sinek's books. I like, uh, Brene Brown's books. Um, I think that good to great was a really good book. Um, traction is another one that's really good. Obviously I've enjoyed, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's books, but to be honest, like I, as much as I, love to write books and be a part of it. I prefer fiction books, uh, usually like crime novels. Uh, I forget the name. Lisa Jewell, I think is her name. 
I don't know if you've heard of her. Let me see if that's right. But all of her books are awesome. They have absolutely (laughs) nothing to do with business. Um, Yeah. Lisa Jewell, like she's, uh, (laughs) she's awesome. She's got some, just these great, like kind of mystery murder, different type things. And so I actually like to, you know, enjoy those type of reads. I'm not the CEO that reads a book every day and all that. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm sure I should be. I, most of the books I read are on audiobook, mm. you know, and so that's why I made sure to do audiobooks for my book. I have not put the audiobook out. We released uh, Breaking Why about a month or so ago. I'm still working on the audiobook, but that'll come out in a couple months. But I'm a big audiobook guy. Um, so there, there's a lot of them, but those are a couple. Of- that's that's good, good, a good list. So as a closing remark, if you want um, our listeners and viewers to take away something from this conversation, what would that be? What would be a parting thought? Yeah, you know, I would say challenge yourself to ask the question why on a daily basis. Be okay with what the answer is, and even if you don't like it, um, and revisit it on a regular basis, you know. And then once you commit to this journey of really deciding to live your passion and purpose in front of your profits, don't flinch. But the best thing I could ever, ever say as a, uh, as a slogan to anyone that's helped me the, more than anything else is don't flinch. Awesome. With that, uh, thank you. Thank you so much, um, Frankie. Uh, thank you for fighting the good fight. Uh, thank you for helping uh, other entrepreneurs make sense of what they're doing. It's already hard enough. And having mm-hmm. any support and in, in, in getting sort of some ray of light of where and what to look for is definitely appreciated. It's and 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 thank you for coming to the show and and sharing your perspective on wise with our with our community. Hey, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad I got to be on. This was actually a great conversation. Uh-huh.